along in our study of the book of Genesis. And it's awesome to see just in tonight's text how God's word is so alive. And for today, God's word, as we're going to read tonight, is speaking of events that are still taking place in this day. Abraham, this forefather of the Jewish people, is still referenced and talked about on mainstream news media to this day. We hear about Israel in the news all the time. And it's such a small piece of land. You could drive across the entire country in about two and a half hours and just see how God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. That God's plans for our life, for his children, for his chosen people also, his plans are of good and his promises are yes and amen. And these were the promises that he was giving to his chosen vessel, Abraham, and that through his seed, the nations would be blessed, that through his seed, the Messiah would come. And Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob. Now, Isaac not only had Jacob, though, he had twins, remember? Jacob and Esau, and we've been learning about these two brothers, how Jacob was supplanting his older brother. He was taking from his older brother the birthright as firstborn, the inheritance as firstborn, the spiritual role as leader of God's chosen people. He robbed Esau of this, and Esau gave it away because Esau was chasing after his flesh. And because of this, because Jacob stole from Esau, his older brother, the family right, his brother hated him intensely. Jacob deceived his father, Isaac. He put on Esau's clothes. He put on Esau, uh, some <laughs> garments of hair from goat skin. And his father, because of his blindness, wasn't able to tell that it was Jacob rather than Esau. And Jacob went into Isaac, his father, and asked to be blessed. And the father said these words of prophecy and prophesied over his son, not knowing that it was actually Jacob he was prophesying over. And also not realizing that God had already told both Rebekah and Isaac that the older brother was going to serve the younger. And this caused a hatred and an animosity in Esau's heart towards his younger brother, so much so that he said, when my father passes away, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And so out of fear, the, mo the mom, Rebecca, told her son, Jacob, you need to leave. You need to go to the house of Laban. 
the mom's brother, his uncle, so that over there he can be safe and she wouldn't have to lose both of her sons if Esau was to kill Jacob, then they would come after Esau as well for murder. And so this is where the story, the account, picks up. Now as Jacob is leaving the household of Isaac and Rebekah to go to his uncle Laban. So we pick up at Genesis chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. It says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So here Isaac again is calling Jacob and he blesses him before he goes on this journey. Understanding now that God is blessing his son Jacob. Isaac is kind of submitting to what God had prophesied of. And Jacob here was sent to his family, Laban, because he was more likely also to find a wife who would be worshiping Jehovah God. He said he's not going to take from the daughters of Canaan. And remember, Esau had already done this. He married these Canaanite women. And because of this, and because they worshiped false idols, these women became a terrible drama and thorn in the side of Isaac and Rebekah. They disdained these daughters. They were troubled by them. And this is because Esau was chasing after his flesh. And he married these women, multiple women, which the Bible doesn't say is okay to do, by the way. And they were saddened that he had made these decisions. He was not being equally yoked with what his father and mother had taught him. Equally yoked with the same mindset that there is only one God, and that is Jehovah God. And so that this same tragedy wouldn't happen to Jacob, Isaac tells him, look, when you go, make sure you're not going to take any daughters from Canaan, but you're going to go to the house of Laban. This is our family. And then in verse three, the blessing, it says this, may God almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be in an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Wow. Right here, I would highlight that, underline it in my Bible. Because this is the promise, again, repeated, that God is giving the land of Israel to people who were under Abraham, to the Jews. And as I'm reading this, I am excited. Why? I don't know if you saw in the news today. Today in the news, 
a pact was made between Israel, Bahrain, and the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. And this pact was titled the Abraham Accords. Abraham's very name in the title of this pact. And it's referencing that because these nations, the, the Jewish people have Abraham as their forefather. The Muslim people also have Abraham as their forefather. And with this, all these men who are coming from Abraham, they are all saying, look, we're going to make this pact of peace. Now, there's a lot of details that I'm not completely aware of on this pact, but after reading some articles concerning this, I'm even more excited. Because first of all, Israel is seen in the book of Revelation in the end times. In the future, there's going to be a temple that is rebuilt. And this temple is going to be divided. And on one side, you will have those who are not following Jehovah God. And on the other side, you will have people who are worshiping the Jewish God, Jehovah. And there is going to be one day a peace treaty amongst these two people that is brought by the Antichrist. Now, don't freak out. This isn't the peace treaty <laughs> that we're referring to right here. Uh, and during that time, there's going to be so many nations that will, all nations actually, will rise up against Israel. We haven't yet entered that seven-year tribulation. Be not afraid. But what I see here is Israel is having that preparation to that step. So much so that right now there are articles that are being written by Palestinians and Muslims that are concerned. They are concerned because right now on the Temple Mount in Israel, you have the Dome of the Rock Mosque. And right now the rules are, according to the laws and statutes, that only Muslims are allowed to pray on the Temple Mount the Dome of the Rock Mosque, under the Muslim quarters. Now, along with that, uh, right there in the temple, you have uh, also, too, the, the Jewish quarters where uh, Christians and non-Muslims can go and visit. But the reason why Palestinians and Muslims are concerned about this pact that was just the Abraham Accords that was just passed is because there's a clause in one of the Accords that is concerning them that they believe that with this clause that non-Muslim people will be able to go onto the Temple Mount and pray in the Muslim quarters. And that's leading them to be fearful that a wall, some sort of division will be made that will allow for this peace between the two religions and a separation. And now that's not in the works yet, but that this is what they're concerned about. 
and they're concerned that there's going to be these radical Jews who are going to build a third temple. Because if the Jews are able to move closer to that spot on the Temple Mount, their desire is to rebuild the temple. And this is all fulfilling prophecy. This is all what is written throughout our Bible right here. So I bring this to our attention to not make us fearful because this is not something that we need to be afraid of, of the end. You see, when Jesus, before he comes back to judge the world, he's going to come back to take his church. We will be caught up in the clouds with him, taken into glory. So is this a time, if ever, that Christians should be serious about their walk, that Christians should be reaching out to the lost, that Christians should be convicted uh, about sin in their life and devoted to the call that God has placed them in. I believe so. I believe right now we are experiencing just the beginning of the birth pangs that Jesus warned us of. The Bible, it's a living word of God. And this blessing, this promise was given to the Jewish people. God is not done with his people. They will be there in eternity. And I've read the end of the book, uh, Jesus is the victor. So as Isaac promises this prophecy towards Jacob, his son. It says then in verse five, so Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan do not please his father Isaac. You see, Esau, at this point, he had realized his mistake. He realized his folly of his parents' disapproval of his current wives. And as he's realizing all these things, he begins to to plan on how he can try to gain some favor with his mom and dad. So in verse 9, it says, So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. See Esau right here, he's trying to gain this favor with his parents because he's looking at how his parents now are finding more favor on Jacob. They sent him to go find wives from the family. And so he's like, okay, well, let me try to make them happy So in order to make them happy, I'm going to go to the tribe of Ishmael and marry this woman from them. 
But foolishly, Esau, by marrying a daughter of Ishmael, first and foremost, this daughter of Ishmael, Ishmael, if you remember, as Ishmael was a brother, a half-brother to Isaac, he tormented Isaac. He was, was harsh and cruel to him, so much so that the mother, Sarah, sent them away. He sent away she sent away Ishmael and Hagar because of this. They were exiled from Abraham's family. So now the grandson is marrying one of the grandchildren from this nation. And keep in mind, the Ishmaelites were not promised the land of Israel. That was promised to those who were born from Isaac. And here's a warning. You see, what Esau is doing is he's seeking to work out his problems in the flesh. We must not work out the problems of life in the flesh. We must rely on the spirit. We must walk in the spirit. Now, what does that mean practically to walk in the spirit? To walk in the spirit means that our flesh, our, our flesh nature, the world nature, even our just normal human brain is not the leading force of our will. But instead, we allow this, our spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to lead us. As human beings, we are a trichotomy, meaning we are three-part beings. Let me explain. We have the flesh, meaning our, our skin, our muscles, our bones, our minds. This is the flesh, and that's one part of us. And we also have the soul, and the soul is like our, our conscious. The soul is our, our being that, is, that lives inside of this bag of meat, I'll say. That's the soul. And there's a third part of us. That's the spirit. And the spirit is given a life when we are submitted to Christ. He gives us a new life. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. You see, before we had Jesus as our king, before we were Christians, we were led by our flesh, by the body and the body appetites. But once we were saved, once we became submissive to Christ, that trichotomy gets flipped upside down and our spirit leads us. Our spirit, it leads our soul, our conscience, and what we decide to do, our will. And that leads our flesh. So our body then is now under submission to the spirit rather than our spirit and our body being under submission to the flesh. So we must rely on the spirit that God gives us we must rely on God's word, on prayer, on understanding the Bible, on fellowship, on church. We must grow in the spirit 
in order to navigate this life. Our Bible, it's that acronym, basic instructions before leaving earth, preparing us for the future. This is something Esau struggled with. Now, as we leave the account of Esau, we are going to focus now on Jacob and his journey. It says in verse 10, it says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now picture the account here. Picture Jacob traveling from Beersheba towards Haran, and the night grows upon him. He has to stop and set up a camp. He's out there in the wilderness. Remember what he's doing. He's on the run right now. Jacob has done much harm to his brother Esau. Even lying to his father. He's done harm to his, his family. His very name, Jacob, it means supplanter. That's someone who takes place of another by force, by scheming, by strategy. He's a manipulator. Not f seeking forgiveness from his brother. He's simply on the run. Now, as he's going through this, suddenly he finds himself tired and weary. So he, he's there looking for shelter. He can only find rocks to lay his head on as he's about to go to sleep. And it's in this sleep, in this slumber, that he has a dream. And in this dream, he has this vision, a glorious vision. Now, this dream was not the result of some sort of spicy burrito. It was given to him from God. I've even heard some Bible academics, I'll call them, not even Christians, but these people who take the Bible and read it for literature, claim that this vision that he was having was probably from some sort of drug-induced hallucination, but that's completely false and blasphemy. It's not in the text anywhere. The Bible teaches that we are to be soberly minded. So this dream that, that Jacob has, it's given to him from God. And as he's there dreaming, he sees this ladder set up on earth, reaching into the heavens. Now, the word for ladder in the Hebrew could also be translated staircase. And on this staircase, this ladder, these angels of God are going up and down, ascending and descending upon it. This word for, for heaven, there are, are several types of heavens also in the Bible. There's the kinds of heavens that it talks about when we look up at the sky and see the clouds, the physical clouds of moisture. 
And then there's also the heavens known as the stars in our sky. But there's a third heaven, and this is a spiritual realm, a, a completely different dimension than the one that we live in, where God and his heavenly realm, they dwell there. God is everywhere. He's all places, but the heavenly realm and the glory of God. Now, as he's seeing this, this ladder, this staircase leading into this heavenly realm, that's what it's referring to here. One of, of the major applications and lessons that we see is that heaven is connecting with earth and earth with heaven, that God is connecting with man and man is connecting with God. You guys, I, I've taught you this before. Perhaps you, you remember where we get our word religion from. There's two words in the word religion in the Latin. There's the re, R-E, and then there's ligion, L-I-G-I-O-N. The re in the Latin means again. And legion comes from a Latin phrase that means a connection, to connect. So our word for religion literally means to again connect. That's what religion was supposed to be. And why, why would we need to connect again? Unless we had already been connected and got disconnected. You see, man was created by God. He was placed there in the garden. Adam and Eve, and they sinned. And this connection that Adam and Eve had with God was amazing. They had fellowship directly with him. But sin broke that connection. And so God and his sovereignty had a plan already in place so that man can be reconnected with God. And that plan was Jesus Christ. Jesus was going to be this bridge between God and mankind. The bridge between heaven and earth. Perhaps you remember in the Gospel of John, when Philip who is always bringing people to Jesus, one of the disciples, he's always bringing people to Jesus. He goes to Nathaniel and he tells him, he says, hey, we've, we found him whom Moses, the law and the prophets wrote about. We found this Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel told Philip, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip told him, come, you have to, you have to see for yourself. And then as Nathaniel was coming to Jesus to meet him for the first time, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. And Jesus said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathaniel was kind of thought to himself like, What? And he says, How do you know me? And Jesus answers him. He says, Before Philip came, for Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, 
I saw you. You see, what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree, this tree that was special to the Jewish people, was an uh, illustration of Israel. Nathaniel was praying. Perhaps he was even praying for their Messiah to come. And so when Jesus told him, look, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel knew that this man was the Messiah. And Nathaniel answers Jesus and says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responds to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Nathaniel tells Jesus, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter. Forgive me, Jesus is telling Nathaniel, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's in 1 John verses 45 through 51. Jesus is claiming to Nathanael that he's going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's a beautiful illustration, one that we can recognize even in the Old Testament of this bridge between heaven above and earth below, this connection. And what is that bridge that Jesus talked about? that they were going to be descending upon the Son of Man that's himself. See, Jesus is our way into heaven. Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And again, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we read, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, our connection to God, to the ultimate being, it's through Jesus. So we need Jesus in our life in order that we would be fulfilled, in order that we can live a purpose-filled life, living out our cosmic purpose, we need Jesus. Jesus becomes our purpose-filled life. Without him, we are lost wondering what God is going to do in our hearts, in our minds, what our purpose is. We try to find love and purpose in all the wrong places, but it's Jesus. He gives you the purpose, the true purpose that you were designed for. Otherwise, you're trying to fit into all the places that you don't belong. And he's our salvation. So that one day when all of this trial, all of the pain is over. When we stand in the courtroom of heaven, there before God, God is going to put on the 
the witness screen, the, the, the screen of, of what we did our whole lives. And it's going to be revealed all the good and bad that we ever have done. And all the sins are going to need to be accounted for. And in order to get into heaven, we have to be perfect. So because of all of our sins, we have no rights into heaven. And there in the courtroom, Jesus steps forward and says, Father, God, this person is my child. This man, this woman, this is my child. And I have paid for his sins. And God the Father is going to say, well done to us, thou good and faithful servant. Notice he doesn't say, well done, thou good and hardworking, well done, thou good and super smart servant. No, he says, well done, thou good and faithful. That faith, it's that belief, that devotion, that love. Christ. And Jacob is seeing all of this heavenly realm in his vision, this dream that he's having. He's there asleep. And in verse 13, it says, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, that promise of what Israel is going to become a nation that will bless all other nations. And in verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And I love how when God promises something such as this, He's faithful to fulfill it. No matter how many times we mess up and we're unfaithful towards our Lord, he never is unfaithful towards us. So Jacob in this moment can be assured that God has a plan for him. Jacob's whole life so far, he's been trying to enact his own will and to make his own life happen the way he wants it to. And God is telling him, I got this. I'm going to take you to where you, where you need to be. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be with you. And it's going to be fulfilled, this promise I'm giving to you. And then in verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. 
Now I can imagine a vision into the heavenly realm would be quite awesome and probably terrifying. You'd probably be so freaked out if we were to see these angels that the Bible teaches us of. In fact, when you read about the prophets ever encountering angels, for the most part, they always fell flat on their face, were so scared, and the angels would constantly have to tell them, fear not, be not afraid, because these angels were so frightening to look at. Paul even said that he knew of a man, and Paul's most likely referring to himself when he says this. He says that he knew a man who was caught up into the heavenly realm. And whether he was dead or, or alive, he's not sure of. But what he did know was that he saw something so beautiful and so amazing there in heaven that it would be a sin for him to try to describe it. That's how beautiful heaven is going to be. That God, God himself, is going to be the most beautiful being that just to look upon him, upon his beauty, he's going to be the most pleasurable, the most fascinating physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally experience that we will ever have. And that same God He can meet that need that you have now. The the heartache that we feel, God can fulfill us with joy through it. The confusion that we have in our lives, God can give us that truth and that peace. The fears, God can give us our Again, that peace and that courage and that hope that goes beyond an understanding. This is the God that Jacob was looking at his realm. Now, I'm always leery when people try to write books of their uh, experiences when they went into heaven or even sometimes hell. But I'm always leery of it because if Paul said it would be a sin for him to to describe it, um, how are they able to? I'm not saying they're not, but I just don't know. And in verse 18, then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. See, Bethel, the translation means house of God. Jacob was claiming this ground that God had promised to him. He said, here, this is where God surely is, his presence. Now God is everywhere. But Jacob knew this was somewhere special because this is where God met him. This is the place where he experienced God in a dream. And God gave him a promise. And today you have uh, the 
the worship group of, of Bethel Worship. And they make some awesome music, some great music. I, I question some of their doctrines. I know that some of them are, are brothers still in the Lord. So we do need to be careful of understanding the word of God and proper doctrine. But this is where that word Bethel comes from. Now in verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Right here we have the first vow in the Bible. Jacob is express, expressing devotion here. He's saying, look, this is awesome. I know this is the house of God. And since, since God is with me, and I want to stay in this way, since God is going to protect me and provide for my needs, the food, he's going to provide for my family so that I'm going to come back in peace, he is surely my God. Because our God is a God who is good. And the stone that he was asleep on became this pillar that he built to have an altar there. Later on, he would return there and again worship God. And he says, I'm going to give you, God, a tenth of everything that I, that I gain. This is where we get our idea of tithing. It literally means a tenth. And from the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, you see this practice of tithing. And that's the one thing that God tells us to test him in, that if when we give to God, if that the windows of heaven don't open and fall upon us so much so that we cannot contain the blessing, he says to test him in this. Because God is a God who blesses us way more than we can ever bless him. Sometimes it's not financial. Many times it's not financial. And here's the other thing. God doesn't need your money. God wants the house of God to be a house of worship. God wants you. God wants you to use your life as a full sacrifice, a complete sacrifice devoted unto him. That we are to present our, our bodies, ourselves, a living sacrifice unto God, our reasonable service. To not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we might live out this perfect and acceptable will of God God desires worship, not sacrifice. He doesn't desire us to be having these moments of, of, of I messed up God. I'm, I'm, I, I, so here's my, um, 
my sacrifice to you to make up for the wrong that I did. No, God wants us to be obedient more so. And as we're going to be obedient, we are going to fall. We are going to mess up. And God wants us to be there right with him when we do mess up. But he doesn't want our relationship with him to be a works-based relationship. He wants it to be genuine. He wants us to love him because he's God. And not because we're scared of going to hell. He wants to have a relationship with you every day, every morning, every evening, every moment. This is what it means to be a child of God and in his house. And he offers that to you every day. This is what Jacob is beginning to experience now. He's beginning to experience this relationship with God. And God is going to mold him and shape him to be a vessel that God is going to use. He's going to be the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. But God is right now putting him through school, spiritual training, maturity training. And Jacob had a lot of problems. He was a liar, a deceiver, supplanter. And God is slowly scraping and shaving off all the impurities, the imperfections. And that's what he does to our life. We're, he wants to make us like gold, where when they put the gold in the pot and they raise the heat of that pot to melt the gold, from the gold on the top, what rises up out of that liquid is the impurities, the dirt, and the stuff that they don't want in gold, and then they scrape it off. And then they let the gold settle. And they heat it up again, and they melt it up in the fire, the refiner's fire. And then the impurities come up again, and they scrape that off again. That's what God does to our hearts. He allows us to be tested in the fire. And what is taken away by his Holy Spirit is those things that don't belong there, those impurities, imperfections, those sins that he wants to get removed. And in the end, when we enter into eternity with Christ, we'll be complete, perfect, whole like gold, pure gold. And it's all because of him. May he get that glory. We'll continue next week with uh, chapter 29 where Jacob is going to meet his wife. I thought we were going to get into that tonight, but that's another exciting account. So if you know any uh, single men and women, let them know. Here's a story from the Bible about a man meeting his wife. But be in fellowship, be in prayer. Allow your life to be a life of worship. May worship not only be in song, but may worship be your being towards Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. I pray and I ask, Lord, that we would have that moment, Lord, of reconnection with you, that you would 
work beyond, Father, our failures, our, our fears, our running from you. Lord God, change us if we are stubborn. Change us if we are prideful, sinful, and not submitted to you. Purify our hearts. Lord God, I pray that you would just use this this church, this ministry for your Holy Spirit to do work. Fill us this week, Lord. May we share the name of Jesus with people. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more song. your name the mountains shake and crumble at your name the oceans roar and tumble at your name angels will bow the earth will rejoice, your people cry out. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O oh Lord. praise you, praise you. There's no one like our God. We will sing, we will sing. There is no one like our God. We will praise you, praise you. There's no one like our God. We will sing, we will sing. There is no one like our God. We will praise you, praise you. Jesus, you are God. We will sing. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. Be blessed this week. We will see you Sunday morning. Jesus' name.